Listener supported. WNYC Studios. By now you've heard the headline, General Qasem Soleimani, Iran's most powerful military commander, was killed in a U.S. drone strike in Baghdad. Tensions between the U.S. and Iran have grown from an already simmering level. Cities and security officials in the U.S. have ramped up efforts in anticipation of retaliation. This is not another just simple commander or military commander. This is the guy who can be considered the number two in Iran after Ayatollah Osma Ali Khamenei, the supreme leader. That's Uzi Rabi, Middle East expert at Tel Aviv University. Soleimani's death was mourned angrily in Iran, where thousands rallied in Tehran and the general's hometown of Kirman. Iran's supreme leader Ayatollah Khomeini said in a statement, quote, Revenge awaits those criminals who have tainted their filthy hands with his blood and the blood of the other martyrs of last night's incident. Soleimani's killing was cheered here in the United States by the Trump administration and former officials like John Bolton, who tweeted, quote, Long in the making, this was a decisive blow against Iran's malign Quds Force activities worldwide. Meanwhile, on Friday morning on CNN, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo explained the administration's rationale for the strike. President Trump's decision to remove Qasem Soleimani from the battlefield saved American lives. There's no doubt about that. Uh, He was actively plotting in the region to take actions, a big action as he described it, that would have put dozens if not hundreds of American lives at risk. Uh, We know it was imminent. This was an intelligence-based assessment uh, that drove our decision-making process. Pompeo went on to say that the action was intended to help with, quote, de-escalation. But detractors say that's a fantasy, and regardless, Democrats in Congress are wondering this weekend why they weren't consulted on the move. And that's where the debate really is on this. Most American politicians agree that Soleimani was a threat to the United States. But does the move create an instability in the region that the U.S. cannot escape? And was it worth the risk with a war in Iran? What's next is obviously the question on everyone's mind. I I can only imagine that this is going to put the target on on American soldiers, on American assets, both military and economic. Uh, I mean, this this could really be ramping up here in a way that we don't want to see. A scary prediction there from retired U.S. Army Lieutenant Colonel Daniel Davis, a senior fellow and military expert for defense priorities. For more on this, we turn to Borzu Daragahi, international correspondent for The Independent, who covers the Middle East, Europe, and North Africa. And we spoke to Borzu on Friday morning. Borzu, let's start by explaining how significant a figure Soleimani is, both uh, towards the United States and in his own region. Well, he is the commander of the Ridge Force, which is the um, overseas uh, clandestine paramilitary arm of the Revolutionary Guard. He was also the architect of many of Iran's international partners. Uh, that ranges from Hezbollah in Lebanon to Iraqi Shia militias. He likely had a role in Yemen as well with the, the Houthi uh, fighters that are uh, uh, going up against the Saudi Arabian-backed uh, government in, in Yemen. Um, he you know, likely travels to Afghanistan as well, has a role there. He's a top operational military guy. In addition to that, 
he seems to be rather close to the supreme leader of Iran. His relationship with the U.S., however, has been uh, contentious uh, at minimum. Uh, he's been called many things and and uh, has been alleged to have killed or at least had a hand in killing many uh, American military. So tell us a little bit about that uh, dynamic. I think that it's a wrong-headed approach in general because we're, you know, they're, they're sort of personalizing this whole issue and trying, the U.S. is trying to depict him, the Trump administration is trying to depict him as this kind of swashbuckling uh, international terror leader. This was no Abu Nidal. This was no Osama bin Laden. He is a representative of a state and he has, you know, deputies and, and, and a bureaucracy behind him and an entire economy behind him. And, and I think this is what the Obama administration and officials that I've spoken to over the years have thought about when they thought about taking him out, is that it doesn't make any sense to take out someone like this when he's a government official, when he's working for a massive bureaucracy, because you just basically stir the hornet's nest. You're not really creating a difference in policy. Mike Pompeo was on the on the TV saying that, you know, this was meant to prevent, you know, an action. If that action was coming, if there was a kind of attack coming by the Iranians, it wasn't Qasem Soleimani who was doing the action. That action is going to go ahead anyway, because it's being perpetrated by a state, not some swashbuckling terror leader. So, Borja, let's talk a little bit about that, because uh, what do we know, if anything, about the intelligence that led to this attack? Does it conflict with what Mike Pompeo was saying? We know nothing about the intelligence because the U.S. has disclosed nothing. And Mike Pompeo said in response to a question today, I'm not going to get into that, which is his sort of classic response. Um, and I think that that harms U.S. credibility a bit because the U.S. has a really bad track record on uh, Middle East intelligence. Um, and Mike Pompeo and Donald Trump both have a very bad track record in terms of telling the truth on many matters. They need to disclose what they were talking about, why this was an imminent attack, why they needed to do this. Was this a political act, a purely political act of Trump trying to save his foreign policy credentials by taking out a big fish that he can sort of brandish to his supporters come November elections? Or, or was it that they actually believe that this is going to make a difference? There's a, a, a circle of people in Washington who actually believe that like Iran is on the ropes, our maximum pressure policy is working, we pulled out of the nuclear deal, we put these sanctions on, people are out on the streets of Iran protesting every day, they're out in the streets of Baghdad and Beirut protesting against Iran, We're, you know, this will give them the knockout punch. I see on Twitter some like lunatic people in Washington, they actually believe that. What is really dangerous, according to you know current and former uh, officials that I've talked to um, over the last uh, few hours or so, is that they don't understand that this is not going to be perceived by Iran as a surgical move, that this is going to be perceived by Iran as a major exponential was a word one former administration official used, exponentially disproportionate response to anything Iran might have done. And something that, you know, with the showing off about it on Twitter and, you know, bragging about it and so on, is going to demand a U.S. response. And now comes the interesting question. Is the U.S. prepared for that Iranian response. I want to get into the response in just a second, because we have heard uh, from Iran's supreme leader a who is promising a, quote, forceful revenge 
um, on the U on the United States, or at least uh, towards U.S. forces. And uh, Borzu, given the U.S. pullout from the Iran nuclear deal, what could that forceful revenge look like? Well, I mean, I, I think that's one issue. Next week, the U.S. is uh, Iran is set to announce uh, the latest in a series of pullbacks from the nuclear deal. And if there was any consideration of not making a dramatic move by Iran next week, uh, I think that consideration is off the table. I think that they're going to, you know, pull out all stops in making a provocative move. That's a little risky for Iran, too. It risks alienating European and Asian allies that have been at least, you know, kind of diplomatically and politically, if not economically, sympathetic to uh, Iran as it's uh, un- undergoing this economic pressure. Um, but there's many things that Iran can do. It has assets in Lebanon, Iraq, Syria, Afghanistan, Yemen. Um, uh, it has assets in Latin America through its partners in Hezbollah, in Europe, and so on. And you know, this is going to put pressure on the U.S. The U.S. is going to have to get on a kind of extremely high-pitched uh, counter-terror stance you know, it's going to have to lock down airports. It's going to have to increase surveillance. It's going to have to, you know, step up its cooperation with international partners that are increasingly alienated by U.S. actions, you know, begging for information about, you know, possible Iranian operatives in those countries that could uh, create troubles for American interests and so on. It's not just U.S officials and soldiers that have to worry. I think even American citizens, as Iran has shown repeatedly, uh, it is willing to, you know, take out actions against uh, civilians if it thinks that it can get an advantage from that. Borzu, we've seen, uh, I'm wondering if you can tell us a little bit about the concerns here at home in the United States itself. Is there a risk to Americans here? You mentioned, obviously, we, we will expect increased security at airports, perhaps increased uh, surveillance, as you mentioned. We've also seen the Los Angeles Police Department, the New York Police Department, both issue statements saying that they are being extra vigilant uh, around this time. What is the risk to Americans here at home? I mean, there could be an attack. You know, I mean... Um, would it be unprecedented for Iran to set off a, a bomb in the U.S.? Yeah, but I think it was unprecedented for the U.S. to assassinate so high a figure uh, as Qasem Soleimani. So we're in uncharted territory. People are using, you know, kind of uh, terms like we're in a new chapter in the Middle East. We're in a new chapter in this conflict between Iran and the U.S. And so I think that, that you know, that's the risk. Someone could get killed. I'd love if you could situate this moment. Uh, lots of Americans and probably lots of listeners are not on Twitter. They're not following the play-by-play um, the way that many of us in the media are. And so if you could explain to us what the the story of this escalating conflict with Iran and the United States has been, um, because there are folks who would say this is you know, a natural next step. And then there are folks who say, well, this is the president trying to uh, distract from what is happening here in the United States, which is uh, an impeachment trial that's set to happen not too far in the future. I don't think that that's going to work. And I don't think that that's necessarily the main calculation. I think that the, the Trump administration got into this trap, this corner, by l- taking really bad advice, by, you know, using, um, by, you know, Trump wanting to be the anti-Obama uh, wanting to do everything different from Obama because Obama dissed him, and you know he didn't. He, he he wanted to show that he can do it better than him, and so he pulled out of the nuclear deal, drank this Kool Aid of this maximum pressure campaign, 
increased the sort of economic sanctions on Iran, put pressure on Iran and backed it into a corner, even as tensions had been cooling down between the U.S. and Iran. And, you know, this is an outgrowth of that to some extent. And, you know, I think that the Iranian-backed militias storming the U.S. embassy last week, it spooked Trump. I mean, I'm just, this is informed speculation based on what people were saying and Republican circles were saying and so on. This is not another Benghazi. We're going to make sure it's not another Benghazi. See, we're different than Obama. We're going to do this different than Obama did. We're going to show them. And so this was a response to that embassy being sacked. I think it was explicitly that to sort of show that I'm not like Hillary to allow Benghazi uh, to go unanswered. All right, Borju Daragahi, they're speaking with me about Iran and the events this week. And thank you for being with us for this. We're going to, of course, be talking more about this issue on the Monday Takeaway. And as always, we want to hear your take on what's happening. 8778-MY-TAKE is our voicemail, or you can send us a voice memo to takeawaydigital at gmail.com.